Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. We're trying to put a plan together where you're unpredictable. So certainly if you're staying in one personnel grouping at times and you're running it and you're throwing it, I think that can be make yourself unpredictable to the defense. Um, on the other hand, you like to mix in personnel so that they have different people running on the field and they got to defend against different people. So I think you try to find that balance of staying in one personnel grouping and there are some teams that stay exclusively in one personnel grouping and and, and there's some thought to that too. But then making yourself difficult to defend and throw out multiple tight ends, then throw multiple wide receivers out. Football. Football, Football, yeah! Multiple tight ends. Personnel groupings. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Spielman loves it. Uh, so, so as our friend Randy from Cottage Grove just said, just broke the news, of course, after midnight, Kevin Stefanski is going to be the Vikings offensive coordinator. And I was doing some numbers, statistical crunching a day, Phil Mackey, and let me give you, and this is too simplistic to be the only thing, but I do think it, it's an important thing. In looking at the Vikings' 2017 offensive production and statistical look back compared to 2018, I think the key thing is very, very simple here. And it's what Zim once, and he got in 2017 with Pat Shermer, who of course then became head coach of the Giants, and it's what he didn't get uh, with John Filippo running the show for 13 games in 2018. In 2017, the Vikings, second in rushing attempts to Jacksonville in the National Football League, 501, okay? In 2018, that didn't just sort of go down. It dropped 25 spots to 27th, 357 attempts. Well, so from, from 501 so to 357. Five, exactly right. So 144, and, and it's, too, it's too simple to just really think that run the ball more is going to completely work. Yeah. But I do think that there is, for 2019, I think there's a happy medium between... 501 and the drop to 357. Yeah. And it wasn't like they were four and 12 and they were just behind in every single game. You know, they, they were behind in games, the Buffalo game. They were behind from the get go. Weren't they down 21 rip in the first quarter of that game? Yeah, I was bad um, quick, but I'm with you. I, I do think people get hung up on, well, if you, if you run, cause it, these Fox broadcasts and CBS broadcasts will just recklessly put up these stat packages that say, and I suppose NBC and ESPN are guilty too, not to, not to just single out Fox and CBS, where it'll say, when they run the ball this many times, they've got this awesome record. And when they run the ball you know, seven fewer times, they have one win in their last 15 games. Well, yeah, because when you're leading, you run the ball more. 
just like a 13 and 3 team would last year. But I'm with you. I think even if you account for, well, they just weren't leading games like they were last year to grind clock in the second half, that doesn't make up for a 150 carry discrepancy. That's not Correct. 10 per game on average throughout the season, right? Absolutely. Um, so now do you think it's as simple as, all right, if this team just runs the ball more, that's going to solve all the problems. It's way more complicated no. than just let's no, get I, a better offensive coordinator in here. And- I don't, but, but I think that drop off is far too drastic. And I also think that, that you need to improve your guard play for sure. Your tackle play, hopefully, but you need to find a way. The biggest head scratcher to me and I know this guy was hurt for a part of the year, but the biggest head-scratching thing to me was far too often, where's Dalvin Cook? And I guess my question is, who can Dalvin Cook be? Because when you watch this kid play and consistently get touches, he's really, really good. And I don't know if he can be Ezekiel. I don't know exactly who he can be. But when you look at how the game runs today, no pun intended, how offenses are structured today, and you see Dalvin Cook, and then he just disappears, you're like, no, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And so the question comes back to, if you're Stefanski, I guess I would have sat you down and said, who can Dalvin Cook be? In, in your eyes, Dalvin Cook's an incredibly valuable asset to this offense, so who are you going to pattern his usage mm-hmm. after? Now, this is sort of trivial, and I don't know if it really even matters, but just for my own curiosity, do you think Kevin Stefanski was... Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman's first choice, that choice number one was bring him back to remain the offensive coordinator. Oh, and or, to add yeah. to that question, do you think him going deep with Cleveland, I mean, isn't it kind of like, all right, you break up, you have a breakup with a gal, or you're not that in, you know, you know, I've been dating this gal, but I don't know, not really into her, and all of a sudden, like, she's you know, like, Two other guys are going super see, interested in her. I'm going to see Cleveland. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going out with Cleveland. Oh, like, no, wait, I didn't know you were no, in demand. baby, de- don't leave for Cleveland. I didn't know you were in demand. What do you mean? <laughs> and you start to get a little jealous. Do you think they thought that highly of Stefanski before he started flirting hardcore with Cleveland? I Let me give you my, my gut impression of that question. I think in that building, and this is just a total guess, okay? I think in that building, Spielman liked him. Zimmer, I don't know. My sense of Mike Zimmer is if he can go crusty old school guy, and, and it's not it's not old school philosophy, but I think if Mike Zimmer can hire an OC who's been, been a head coach where Mike says to himself, you know what, now it's off my plate, he's happy. I think Rick probably says, hold on a second here, Zim. This league now offensively is skewing towards younger creative people. So to answer your question, I think that Spielman probably from day one was more intrigued with Stefanski than Zim was. But Zim Total was guess. but Zim was intrigued enough to block Stefanski from moving on to the New York Giants or was it Zimmer? that opportunity. Or was that Spielman? But Zimmer was at the podium saying well, I mean Zimmer was taking the bullets and no, Zimmer I know was he on was, saying But you hey, do that. I have an option. He put it on sometimes Zimmer is because I mean with the North Turner stuff, Zimmer was pretty clear about not owning it this season, right? This is true. Well, it was North. No, He's still it trying wasn't, to wasn't dismiss my, it. Yeah. He quit on me. So I, 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 I guess to answer my own question, I think the Mike Malarkey types and the Dirk Cutter types that have had head coaching experience, Zimmer clearly has a thing for guys who've been head coaches in the past. North Turner, Pat Shermer, to your point, to just be the head coach of the offense. 
So I think if Mike Zimmer had a whiteboard and he was ranking all the candidates, I don't think Kevin Stefanski would have been number one on that list. That's I think guys with head coaching experience would have been yep. ahead of Kevin Stefanski. And who knows if he had been hired to be the head coach or a coordinator for Cleveland. I don't know what their list would have looked like after they were well, the, either rejected by the or the question, timing yeah. didn't work with the uh, the malarkey crew. That's the question, right? Mm-hmm. So Cutter's gone to take the OC job with Falcons. Malarkey took the tight ends coach job there. That's, yeah. I don't know at, at that point. Do you just promote somebody off the staff? Do you get desperate? But what is going to hurt them is unless the Wilfs come to Spielman and Zimmer and say, "Here is a contract extension, one year." So, it, so you're you're signed now for two two years. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the incentive if you're an offensive coach right now? What's the incentive to take a job here where the two things are the job security of the GM? and coach aren't there. And then, oh, by the way, the coach has proven that for the offensive staff, at least, he can be difficult to work with. Yeah, I I hear you. But then again, how long do you see coordinators, even quality coordinators, spend more than two, three, four years at a stop anyways? So I think if you can, there's been a lot of examples, and Cliff Kingsbury is an even more extreme example of no NFL coaching experience, and he gets a head coaching job. Yep. I don't think you have to worry about anything beyond 2019. If you can do something good in one year and everyone gets fired or whatever, like John D. Filippo wasn't going to be a three-year guy if he succeeded, right? It was going to be one year resume yep. and then maybe the second year. And the funniest thing is, if this works, let's say 2019 Cousins comes back and he's fantastic and offensively they shore up the line and this works to perfection. Mm-hmm. At this time next year, the same conversation takes place because Stefanski's gone. He's 36 He's a. He's going to be. If, if this offense man. has success, though, now, now you know what Th- thirty six is perfect. Yeah. And so, if this all works out exactly as the Vikings want, in year from now, Stefanski is going to get a job. Yeah. Uh, I've got. I've, I did a little number crunching here too because you. I agree with your point. You've got a Dalvin Cook on your team, and part of it's on him. Stay healthy. Stay on the field. But when he was on the field, I didn't realize it was this drastic. So, small sample size, because he only played four games in his rookie year. He played in 11 games this year. But they gave him the ball just on the ground, an average of seven more times per game in his four rookie games than they did this last year. Yeah. And uh, in terms of targets, let's see, four targets per game there, about about four targets per game in the passing game. So, he's he's averaging four targets per game and then 12, so 16 touches per game is what he was averaging. Zeke Elliott, I get it. He's on a maybe a different planet, but because he he's just uh, he led the league in rushing two of the last three years. But Zeke Elliott averaged twenty carries a game, and then was targeted an additional ninety five times throughout the season. <laughs> so I, I'm not saying that Dalvin Cook is as good as Zeke Elliott, but what I'm saying is you've got a really multifaceted, uniquely skilled running back. And one team with a quarterback that you can't just put everything on in Dak Prescott is saying, all right, we're going to give that guy the ball 10 more times per game or so on average. And the Vikings absolutely, are saying yes, with Dalvin absolutely. Cook. Yes. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it Dalvin Cook doesn't need to be Zeke, but he's as close as you're possibly going to get. And his skill set fits, right? Mm-hmm. He can catch the ball. He can run. His skill set fits that role, and for him to not get the ball more, especially once he came back from the hamstring, really made no sense. Yeah. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Jim Peterson coming up shortly. 
All right, Jeff in Texas, don't swear and get us in trouble. What's going on, man? No, I, I promise I won't. Okay, so good. The, I, got, I got one, two, three, four points. I have them written down, but they're really quick. So I'm tired of this narrative. You know, by the way, I hate when people say it, this narrative. <laughs> but the narrative is, oh, we've signed Cousins for three years, so Kirk Cousins is our quarterback for the next two years, and we just have to live with it. So what, unless there's some no-trade clause. There is. Why? Isn't it a full no-trade? Doesn't he have a full no trade? I don't know about that. I, have to look. I, I think know, I think he has a full no trade. Oh, if he does, then scratch that. my hot take because I'm like the Redskins need a quarterback. Jacksonville would probably take him, but <laughs> trade him back to Washington no for that contract. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they wouldn't take. They it. were paying him more on the uh, on the uh, what do you call it? The franchise, franchise tag. tag. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, yeah. They, need, they need his okay. prior written consent to trade him. Just FYI. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So Stefanski, do you think they did like a uh, what's the offensive coordinator for the Patriots thing? Like McDaniel's. Hey, McDaniel's. Hey, stick around here, and you're next in line when Zimmer leaves because he is sixty. Don't know how long he wants to coach, but it's just throwing that out there because he was having some other interviews, right? And some Stefanski, maybe, yes, Cleveland. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So Judd. Yes, sir. On on on. Uh, and working relationships and how you perform. So let's say that you're guaranteed for the next five years to make a million dollars a year, so you have no job worries, and you sign that contract with right now 1,500 ESPN, but it's going to change, but whatever. And oh, great! Happy. And then yeah, and then and then you come into work and you're like, okay, well we got a new co-host for you. It's Will Kane. You're going to be working with Will Kane for four hours every day for the next three years. Mm-hmm. But you promise me you're going to give it your all, right? You're going to be, like, really engaged and do your job. Mm-hmm. You might do that. I'm just saying, with Wiggy, I was trying to come up with a scenario where, like, people perform better when they're yeah, no, that's in a, a good environment and not sure. in a good environment. Sure. And, Jeff, call back with your other point because we got to get to uh, Josh Arnold here and uh, call back, like, tomorrow um, and Jim Peterson. But, just don't swear again. Yeah, well, at the Wiggins point, he – was not a good fit with Tom Thibodeau and vice versa. Right. And I don't know if anyone can unlock him full time, but a guy like Ryan Saunders has a better chance than Tom Thibodeau. It's fair to say that. I think you, that's exactly right. But yeah. you know what? Right now it's time, Phil. It's time to talk to me. Mackie and Judd are back. Please continue. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on traffic. It's brought to you by Duluth Trading Company, 35W Southbound. Uh, we've got a crash causing an 11-minute delay at uh, Portland Avenue South in uh, Minneapolis, so be on the lookout for that. And also, we still have that crash. Highway 10 westbound near Arden Hills between 694 and Fire Avenue, causing a six-minute delay there. Thank you, Manny. Earlier in the show... Judd Zolgad and Manny Hill welcomed the great Jim Peterson, Wolves color analyst on Fox Sports North, uh, to the show. Not only to discuss post-Tom Thibodeau-era Timberwolves basketball, but the uh, back-and-forth awesome victory giving Ryan Saunders a 1-0 record. Uh, Jim Pete from earlier today. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd. Uh, Phil joins the show, as he always does, at 4 p.m. Joining us now, one of our favorite guests, um, analyst extraordinaire from Fox Sports North, Jim Peterson, who was on the call last night of that fantastic Wolves game. Uh, Jim, appreciate the time, as always. I want to start you with this one. Among the many Wolves games you've seen, moments you've seen, how special was that whole thing last night with getting to see Ryan Saunders coached this team to a win as we all th- thought about his dad. I mean, just how special was the whole night? Just, not just the win, but just the whole thing. 
That's a great question. Um, it's up there. I mean, it really is. I mean, in, in terms of everything that, you know, we've been through, um, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I've, I'm 56 years old and I've been involved with the NBA since 1984 and I've been the analyst for this team for 21 years. So I've been through a lot, you know, and I think, you know, I'm not too naive to know that um, this is just one game and it's a snapshot in time. Um, but for this one snapshot in time, um, for what it meant for on so many levels, it was one of the best ever. I mean, I mean, I've known Ryan since he's been a little kid, you know. I, I've, you know, I've known Flip since I was a little kid. I've known Flip since I was in eighth grade. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my best friend, you know, a couple of buddies, you know, my best friend growing up, his dad worked uh, at Riverside Bank on campus and would bring me to games. Uh, me and my buddy Jeff Chase and his dad, Gene, uh, we would go to games, and Gene knew Bill Musselman really well. And so I got a chance to meet Flip when I was in junior high and became friends with him. Um, Gene ended up doing some business with Flip after he graduated from U of M. So... I mean, I've known Flip and Debbie since they, you know, were dating, and uh, and uh, she was a cheerleader at the University of Minnesota. So when you when you when you think about, you know, my relationship with the Saunders family, and seeing Ron, Ryan grow up, and um, you know his time in Washington when we go go and play the Wizards, and see him working on the floor with John Wall doing ball handling routines with. Uh, Bradley Beal and all the all the work that he was doing with those guys, and then when Flip got fired and Randy took over, Randy you know kept kept Ryan on board, um, and then Ryan you know pretty much has been um, you know not living off of Flip's name. Ryan's been doing the work, man. I mean, like Ryan's Ryan, Ryan's put the time in. You know, he he sat there and stared at that at that damn computer screen, and and he's been on the court sweating with the guys. You know. Um, and there's just no substitute for that. There's no substitute for putting in the work and then for him to be catapulted into this situation like on a moment's notice and then have to play in one of the most difficult venues, Judd. You know I mean? Like this yeah. is one of the most difficult venues for him to play. I mean, it was a loud arena and it popped and they were, it was a, an emotional game. Um, and to have the outcome happen the way it did, you know, Josh Kogi hitting that, you know, young player hitting that three and seeing Wiggins just turn it on to have one of his best games, if not his best game as a pro, um, to see Nerlens Noel, the tragedy, like, like the, the fall that he took and the, the dust up between um, Jeff Teague and, and uh, Dennis Schroeder, mm-hmm. um, it just had so much texture and drama and uh, it was just it was just an incredible story. If you, if you didn't see the game, you really missed something. What was it like to, from your broadcast perch right by the benches there, Jim, to, to go from Tibbs, you know, who stood up and screamed for entire games and seemed to bristle about life in general, to Ryan, who evidently was talking to players. At one point, uh, Taj came and threw his arm around him and gave him some a suggestion or something. I, I heard you uh, relay the story. Sarich got taken out of the game after he missed a big shot. And, and Ryan said to Dario, I'm going to put you back in, and you're going to hit a key three-pointer. I mean, what was, what was that juxtaposition like to go from Tom to Ryan watching last night's game? Well, look, you know, Judd, you know that 
that uh, sports and coaching, there's all different kind of coaching styles, all different kind of motivational techniques. You know, I don't think Bill Belichick is sitting on the sidelines rah-rah. You know what I mean? He's not sitting there high-fiving. And so when you look at Tom Thibodeau's coaching style, um, it's not like Belichick's. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Belichick's not a rah-rah guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of coaching styles. But basketball is different. You know, basketball, you know, motivation is such a huge thing. And, you know, um, giving a guy a pat on the butt and, uh, you know, uh, rewarding. Because, like, basketball is about, you know, playing with energy and effort. And it's a, and it's, you see everything. As a fan, you're sitting right there. And the, and the TV cameras, you know, there's no helmets or caps or, you know, you're, you're playing shorts in a, in, a, in a tank top, you know, and you got sneakers on. And you see everything and you hear everything. And you see the emotions on everybody's faces. And Tibbs was, I mean... He just—he's not my cup of tea in terms of how I would want to be treated as, as a player. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like a little encouragement once in a while, and to have someone yelling. And I think I think the players pretty much tune out a lot of the a lot of the yelling that Tibbs does. I think I think that, and, and I don't know that they were as unhappy with him as I think people make it out to be. I think that for for the most part, they they played for each other and they and they they had a good time. But the the, the energy that Ryan brings. Brought to that game last night, um, the the juxtaposition of, you know, and, and Tibbs would stand in front of me and Ben's the whole time. I mean, like he's standing. I mean, I'm watching the monitor probably sixty or seventy percent of the time because I can't see the floor. You know what I mean? And uh, so it, it was just a huge difference for me. And then seeing the interaction and seeing the players interact and seeing Ryan slap somebody in the butt and like give him a high five and. And, you know, you're right. I mean, I, Brian, right in front of me, it was like, you know, Dario was super disappointed. He had missed two wide-open shots. And Ryan was platooning Taj and, 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 and uh, Dario. And, and so he punched Dario on the chest. He said, I'm putting you back in, and you're going to hit a big three. And then Dario didn't hit the big three, but, but Josh Okogi did, who had missed a bunch of shots in a row. Like, Josh himself had missed a couple wide-open shots. And for and for him to hit that third one, to, for Ryan to leave him in the game, and to let him give it, get a chance to get it back, and Westbrook had scored on him seven straight times. By the way, it looked like Josh was like locking Westbrook down. That's why you had him in there. You did have him in there for defense, but um, you know, it just it just was fun. You know, it was it was. And my my comment afterwards was the game, in a word for me, was joyful. You know, everybody was having fun, and so. Like I say, it's a snapshot in time. It's 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 one game. How do we, how are they going to be able to operate when adversity comes? And and we'll see how this all plays out. But I just couldn't have been happier for Ryan and for the Saunders family, for Debbie who was sitting at home probably just you know loving it, and you know his sisters and you know the in laws and um, Ryan's wife who's you know sitting at, at home you know watching the game. So. I just, you know, and we're cognizant of all this, too, by the way. We're sitting here doing it, and everybody's like, everybody knows what's happening and what this means for the Saunders family. So, um, and then, you know, Mr. Taylor, I mean, he's sitting there at home watching it. Um, you know, the entire organization is watching this moment. The whole league is, is, is checking this thing out. Um, and so I guess it was, a, it was a great moment for the, for the franchise, that's for sure. Jim P., doesn't it kind of speak to, like, something that I've said and we've heard a lot of people say about, you know, knowing your person, if you're a coach, knowing your personnel, like knowing that certain, you know, certain ways that you coach may not reach certain type of players that you have. And it seems like, it, and 
you know, I'm trying not to be hyperbolic here because it is just one game under Ryan, but it just seems like Ryan knows exactly what to say to certain players that are on the team to get the most out of them. And that may have been something that Tibbs may not have been able to do. Well, you know, I think um, one of the things that I learned from Cheryl Reeves, and I, and I relay these stories to people, and there's, there's a bunch of them, but one of the things that Reeves did all the time, excuse me, um, was that she would meet with players. Um, she would meet with players all the time, and she'd, be, she'd especially meet with the captains. You know, she'd meet with Waylon Brunson, um, Simone Augustus, um, you know, Taj when she was there, and, and Maya Moore or whatever. She would always meet with them. Um, and, and, and give them the marching orders so that they, that she didn't have to sit there and like do everything all the time. But she would also meet with subsets, just the posts, just the guards, just the bench players individually all along the course of the season to make sure everybody knew what their role was. And there was never any confusion. And also there was never any confusion about whether she cared about them as people. And I just think that that's, that's a huge thing to sit there and, you know, to check in with people, you know what I mean, and make them feel like they're they're part of the process, and that, that how important they are to you know the, the concept of a team. Everybody's a everybody's got a role to play, and and super identifying, you know, how important your role is, however big or small your role. And so for Ryan to meet with all of the players individually before this game and check in with them, and and uh, even like the coaches huddling up during timeouts, you know, when when timeouts were called. Tibbs didn't sit there and huddle up with the coaches to keep them engaged or, or to check in to see if they had any ideas about what's happening or what needs to change or what they're doing well. Um, he would just go right into the huddle himself and not even talk to them. And, I, you know, I was a part of that when I first started coaching. You know, Jim Gillen, when I, my first year when Don Zierden left and went to the, went to the Wizards was flip, um, Jen Gillum did the same thing. She didn't sit there and, like, ask me what I thought during a timeout. And, and I, I, didn't, I didn't think she was served by that. So... Just even coaches huddle up during the timeout, and like he, you know, Ryan's checking in with them. Of course, he would do that because he, you know, he doesn't know everything. Um, he's got some pretty veteran guys over there that know what's happening. So it's just a, I don't know, it's, just, it's a different process. And I think that when 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 people are engaged and when when they feel like they're um, heard and when they feel like they're part of the process and when they when, and when you know the coach is connecting with them, I think players will play harder. I think they'll. And I think that's part of like the Andrew Wiggins situation. I think that Ryan has spent so much time with Andrew on and off the court, um, especially on the court. Like you know, Andrew knows that that uh, that Ryan is in his corner, and I'm not sure that that Andrew felt like Tibbs felt that way about him. You know what I mean? And, and certain players don't need that. Like like Taj is going to be able to operate whether you talk to him or not talk to him. Taj just. You know, that's just the way he is. And I think Derrick Rose is going to be able to do that. And, and you know, I, um, there are certain players that just can go out there and just do it. But I think there are other players that you you have to check in with, man. You've got to have a relationship with them um, so that they feel like they're part of the process. So I, I, just, I just think that Ryan has that ability to connect, which is very special. So to that point, uh, Jim, what is the key? 40-10-4 last night, and Wiggy was unbelievable what do you think, and I don't expect those stats to be repeated on a nightly basis, but that effort, that intensity, that ability, which is clearly there, what is the key to unlocking that consistently so that guy shows up, do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, part of it is, is to not go back to, 
um, when, you know, when Derek was helping, and I, I, Derek Rose is one of my favorite all-time players that we've had through here. Um, you know, I, I think that um, people have their opinions. He's one of the most polarizing players that, that we've had. I mean, in my 21 years, I don't think that Derek Rose is he's such a huge follower. You guys have no... And maybe you do know, but uh, I mean, do you guys realize how big he is? How popular he is? Oh yes, around, definitely. Around the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, Manny. I mean, like this guy, like he's got such an incredible following, and for a good reason because Derek is one of the most transcendent talents. I mean, to be the youngest rookie of the year, excuse me, the youngest MVP, and uh, the way that he plays with such great heart and effort. Um, I, I just and he's so humble, you know. But um, but the way Tibbs used him was, um, you know, was dominating the ball and his usage rate, you know, for much of the season has been, you know, behind towns, and some in some instances, some stints like some um, stretches of, of the season, Derek's usage rate has been way above Towns and Wiggins, and so, you know. If Derek's going to dominate the ball and, and, and have the ball end of game situation and, and you're going to make Andrew a spot-up shooter, Andrew's going to feel like he's not really empowered to do what he can possibly do. And I think that um, there's a lot of factors that work into, I think, the psychology of Andrew Wiggins and what unlocks his potential. But I think more than anything else, I think you have to engage him. And you have to give him responsibility and tell him how, how important he is to the team and how, how much you, you need him to do the things that he did last night. And um, so, you know, we've seen stretches of it, but, um, you know, we'll see. I just, don't, I just don't know, and time will tell, we'll see if, if he's going to be able to do this on a consistent basis. I, I suspect that we're going to see a different annual Wiggins. We started seeing it maybe, I don't know, this has been bubbling up over the last five or six games where Andrew's been, you know, redoubling his efforts and, and been playing with, with greater energy. So it's just a fascinating Thing to watch this whole thing this, this entire season has been incredible i mean from the whole jimmy butler saga to the trade with philly and getting roco and dario here and and the coaching change now and seeing ryan can fill this role it's just been an incredible story it's it's fascinating i can't wait to see how it ends how much fun is friday night going to be when dallas comes to town and it's going to be ryan's first home game as coach well, again, you know, he's um, he's going to put the work in. I, you know, I kind of feel bad for him because, like, he he, um, he hadn't slept in two days. You know, I I, I don't think he got, he didn't get much sleep the, the the night that he found out he was going to take over, and then um, the night before the game, um, the players did their top golf thing again, uh, which was pretty successful. The last time they were in OKC, they did top top golf and they won that game in OKC. Did we see some better swings this time around than the, know, from the first I time? Don't know if it was, I don't know if it was better. I suspect that it was better, but um, but they did it again. And so this team building thing was great. And but I don't think Ryan got much sleep that night. But I think he's um, he, he's probably just inundated. I texted him the night before the game. Um, and I was surprised that he texted me back as fast as he could, best he did. But Benz was telling telling us on the air last night that I didn't know this that Ryan was prioritizing um, people within the organization to get back to them. But um, I mean, I just can't imagine what his life is like right now. Can you imagine? I mean, like you know, whirlwind, uh, right? I mean, completely like, you know, to have to have your dad be who he is and, and, and how important Flip is to this organization and then, to, you know, to be on this ride with him all the way up and all the stuff that Flip went through as a coach, you know, both 
um, in the in the you know CBA, and then his ascension with the Timberwolves, and then you know leaving and going to Detroit, and going to Washington, and coming back to Minnesota again, and bringing KG here, and oh, I just I mean, and you know Ryan being at his side for you know you know until you know Flip's untimely death. I mean, what a tragedy! And and you know, here's the other thing about Ryan. At Flip's funeral, he knocked the eulogy out of the park. It was one of the most beautiful, touching moments. Ryan did his father so proud. I mean, like, like in a very difficult situation with all these super famous people that were, that were there for this, um, um, for this funeral. And Ryan just stepped up in a very emotional moment and just like knocked it out of the park with one of the greatest eulogies I've ever heard. I've been to a lot of funerals, but um, Ryan just did such a great job. So, um, yeah, it's just got to be a whirlwind for the guy. And it's going to be a great. It's going to be a great. And Mr. Taylor will be there too, hopefully, and um, um, and hopefully we can keep this thing rolling for Ryan's sake and for the team and for the city of Minneapolis and St. Paul and the state of Minnesota because this is a basketball state. As much as it's a hockey state, you guys know this, man. And as much as the Vikings dominate, it's still a basketball state. People love the game, and yeah. um, and so I think that everybody can kind of identify with what's happening right now. Thanks, Jim P. Great stuff. Appreciate the time as always. Okay. We'll see you guys. All right. Take Thanks, care. Manny. You got it, buddy. Bye bye. All right. See you. Jim Peterson, Fox Sports North. He uh, does a fantastic job. And just quickly, I thought this last night if Saunders gets this job, I don't want, want to see him go off TV, Jim Pete, that is. I'd probably n- name him to my coaching staff. I think he'd be great on that staff. Yeah. Or at least I would say he's coached before. He's an incredibly smart guy. Even Keel, right? Mm-hmm. Totally gets it. Cares about these players. Cares too. about these players. I think yeah. he would be, and, and I don't want that personally because I think on TV he's he great on is TV. just fantastic. Yeah, I but I think that he would be an outstanding addition to that coaching staff. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was earlier on the show. You and Manny had Jim Peterson on, and he was excellent. And then you just like took him off TV at the end there well, and put him on. I the said bench, selfish, which... selfishly, I don't want that, but he would be a really good coach. He he would be, and he was for Shale Reeves, yes. and I think he just didn't want to do the two jobs. He's he wanted to travel around. His you know he's, he's got family, so. But I do think he'd be a great NBA assistant. But don't you think if he wanted to be an NBA assistant, he would have been one at some point in the last fifteen years? And he's not like living check to check I off that TV think, job. I don't know that he. I don't think he, he would have left this market to be. So I think the right opportunity in this market with the Wolves would would have had to uh, provided itself to him. And if Ryan gets this job, it's a great chance. I think. Like, really? Well, is that, not, are you reporting this? No, 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 no. I'm no. I'm just saying it. It's a perfect storm. Like Tibbs is not a perfect. Well, Tibbs is a perfect storm. But Tibbs is. Jim Pete is not going to approach Tibbs and say, "I'd like to coach with you because I love your style." Jim Pete's going to be like, "Back away, dude!" Right? Reckless. Oh, it's completely reckless. If, but if Ryan Saunders got this job, and I, and by the way, I'm not saying right now that he deserves it. I have no idea. What I am saying is that I think there's a fighting chance that he could get this job. Thank and you. if he unlocks Wiggy, he has a very good chance. And if he starts to look for assistance then, I think Jim Pete fits the mold of Ryan Saunders coaching staff type really well. Yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't pull many punches, though, throughout that interview. You know, the, the he, stuff about. He had to watch the monitor. So that answers the question. Tibbs would just stand in front of him and Dave Benz. Mm-hmm. And so Jim Pete was basically like us watching the television screen to have an idea of what was going on. Yeah. And I know a lot of coaches will stand a little further, although they'll or they'll sit, 
so that what? they can what? just chill out. But so like they sit down. Yeah, it's a weird thing. They've I got these seats. If you're okay. a coach, and and Tibbs is a rather robust gentleman, so it's a little bit harder yeah. to. Sort Tibbs of lost see some weight him. though. He had lost a little bit. Tibbs of lost a couple pounds. Has he? Really? Seriously? Lost yeah. like fifteen. Doing what? Stressing? Diet like me, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. Watch what he eats. Um, that's good. I'm glad to see he's healthy. I don't want to. I don't want. What's done is done. I don't want to spend too much more well, time the next few him. days. No, no, no. Go ahead. Burying the guy. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have no problem. Uh, we will wrap with Roycey when we come back. I mean, Patrick was uh, delighted to see his favorite baseball player with the epic pimping of a home run in the Venezuelan winter. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios before we wrap things up with Roycey. 394 eastbound, we got the uh, crash between Dunwoody Boulevard and 94 in Minneapolis. It's causing about a four-minute delay. And uh, 494 eastbound, we got the crash between Normandale Boulevard and France Avenue in Edina, causing an 11-minute delay there, gentlemen. Thanks, Manny. Uh, we wrap with Roycey every day on the show here, Mackie and Judd. Pat, I think we have a new leader in the clubhouse for greatest home run pimping of all time. Williams Astadio oh, in the yeah. Venezuelan Winter League last night. <laughs> the one knee resting his chin on the bat, <laughs> uh, waiting to see if it was fair or foul. And that one, did that win some kind of a playoff game or some kind of a I game? I couldn't tell. I have no idea. It must have been a, a game winner because he acted like a complete uh, goofball when he hit it. Uh, <laughs> But I would hear people saying that, you know, didn't he go, I mean, he went way up in the second or third deck, in the second deck at uh, at Target Field, too, right? September, he, I mean, he's, he's he's gaining more power as he's getting out a little more beef, I think, in his old age. But <laughs> he's unstoppable. Did you look at him? I thought he looked a little slimmer. I'm scared. I don't want him to get in shape, for goodness sakes. That would be terrible. Yeah, he but, did, yeah, yeah, you're right. He didn't look quite as doughy. You're right about no. that. No, I don't like that. I, I want him back. What are they going to do, though, Phil? How can they not have him on the team as the 13th guy? I'm ready. I, listen, I was a little on the fence. I'm ready to riot if he doesn't make the 25-man <laughs> roster. In fact, he should be. He should play four or five days a week. He should be their main super utility guy. Play every position and and come in. In the games he doesn't start, he should always get in that bat. And, and well, I, Pat, I want your thoughts on this real quick. I brought this up to Judd. We're always looking for the market inefficiency in baseball, right? 15 years yeah. ago, it was on-base percentage. You know what yeah. it is today? Guys who can put a bat on a ball, yeah. and, and he can do well, that. Nobody in history is. I mean, the uh, wee Willie Keeler didn't put the bat on the ball any better than this guy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and... Uh, Plus, you know, he'll go out and stand at third and catch most of them, and uh, you want to play. I don't know about putting him in center field again. I don't know if that's a very good idea, but uh, but uh, unbelievable. By the way, I was looking something up today. Uh, Dick Stegman's down here, uh, who pitched for the Twins way back. He's a Nimrod, Minnesota boy. And uh, in 62, they traded for him, and they brought in Vic Power to play first base. And they had a guy named Rich Rollins playing third. But do you guys realize that I'd forgotten? I thought he did it for one year. Harmon played left field for three years, 62, 3, and 4. Really? How'd that go for yeah. him? Well, he'd catch him if they hit him to him. But uh, that was that's 
that's what the value was of corner outfielders back then. They didn't care if you could catch the ball or not. If you <laughs> if you just didn't let it hit you in the head where it was hit to you, uh, you know, back then the corner outfielders and the, they hit the ball out of the park and the center fielder caught everything. That was the theory. But Harmon did it for three years. Wow! So Willie Ostadio could do it for a couple of ball games. That's for damn sure. So in his time with the Twins, then he played. Left field, third base, and first base. Is that correct for Kelly yeah, and uh, and several years he would platoon between first and third. Uh, they had a Rich Rollins, who was a right-handed hitter, playing third, and Don Mincher, who was a left-handed hitter, playing first. So if there was a lefty pitching, he'd go play first, and if there was a righty pitching, he'd go play third. So we, uh, we, we did wacky things like that back then, which is uh, exactly what uh, – they were doing with uh, Chris Bryant when he first came up, right? right? Playing left, mm-hmm. left, and third. Correct. But anyway, so uh, I was all wrong about Ryan Saunders. He's the next uh, Phil Jackson. Uh, pretty good effort by the boys last night. I only got to see the highlights, but man, alive! You see Wiggy forty ten and four. That's the best game I Wiggins know. has ever played. Yes. You know what I said. I think all of the Timberwolves fan base is celebrating the fact that Tibbs gave him that mock max contract and he had the foresight to give him that max contract. <laughs> <laughs> right? Pat, there was a moment in the fourth quarter last night and, and I was I was watching on my phone and it is high definition, but I did have to I had to squint a little bit and I saw it was it was a missed three pointer by Sharich. And there's three yeah. Oklahoma City Thunder players and there's and I in the middle of those three players I see a scrappy wolf fighting and clawing and ripping for a rebound, and I'm going like in my head of all the guys on the rock, like who is that? Uh, Covington's out. Is that that must be a Kogi, right? It was Wiggins. Wiggins hey. fighting for offensive rebounds last night. But now we're worried if he said the word gay or not. Huh? Afterwards, is that a big he, uh, big guy? No, because he didn't. He stopped. He, he it came out that way, but he was stopping, and, and it was like an ellipsis, and it sounded like it, but he didn't. Say, he wasn't trying to say. But it. a lot of people, uh, yeah. uh, trying uh, aren't buying the excuse. But uh, I, like I, 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 you know what the hell? Uh, he's uh, it, it. It wasn't blatant if it was, but uh, when he gets forty, we shouldn't be mad at him, <laughs> right? Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, so, so you've gone from so have you how far off of your most embarrassing moment in Wolves history take have you gone after it was a cool moment last night at the very least well um, yeah we got a half a season and hopefully they'll play I mean it's just uh, you know I wish this kid the best I like him a lot and uh, I you know I had some couple of great conversations with him after his dad died and I liked his dad like everybody else and uh, you know I hope he makes it I just the idea of hiring a guy without any resume was kind of uh, made me wonder. It's not because he's 32 years old. It's because there's no resume there. So That's glad. But, yeah. And uh, who was he listening to? It sounded like Eddie Pinckney was the guy that was actually talking to him last night. It was yes. the guy standing up and talking to him and trying to give him some scholarly advice. So Most importantly, Pat, he sat down. Ryan sat down at time, long periods where he sat on the bench. Mm-hmm. Well, I want them to hire if they if they don't hire him and they want to get a young guy, Sean Sweeney, the St. Thomas Academy grad, who's uh, our St. Thomas University of St. Thomas grad, who's now an assistant in 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 Detroit. Nice Irish kid from St. Paul, greatest kid of all time. But he'd make Tim sound like a choir boy, man. <laughs> It'd be unbelievable. 
I'd like to see the look on Mrs. Taylor's face if he started it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, I he think... and I had a conversation a while back. It sounded like we both had Tourette's syndrome. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe that yeah, can maybe yeah. that can make a he can make a guest appearance on Royce Unchained on a Monday. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we could we only can swear on Royce. So Unchained. we have now yeah. announced that we have now announced the timeline for the uh, the changes coming next week. Uh, you yes. finally let the cat out of the bag but yep. not completely well and we, let's add this detail too because you're on the phone with us and you, you see so we're pat is going to continue unless you tell us to go bleep ourselves right now on the air to join us on a regular basis uh every day and uh, we're going to have ricey unchained on the radio as well it's going to make its way to the radio uh, every monday for people to listen so if people who are bound to the radio you will be able to hear ricey and uh and judd Okay, I'm going to ask an out-of-school question. Does Levitard stay? Yes. Good. I heard if, if you don't, I was going to tweet this out. If you don't like the Levitard show, you and I can't be friends, people. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great show. He had some stuff going today that was hysterical. They got that Diaz on the coach, and then they had this kind of this Hispanic Cuban character who does this satire on screaming an hour, and it was fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Well, even if even if he wasn't staying, we would probably do what we used to do, which is find Every a spot night, for yeah. him later on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you have any other fifteen hundred questions or anything? Else? <laughs> uh, no, not because I've got a Sean Payton thing for both you guys that just came across. Okay, lay it on me. Sean Payton. This is from Bleacher Report NFL. Sean Payton went into the Saints locker room with the Lombardi Trophy, presumably the one they won eight yeah. years ago, yeah. nine years ago. On top of two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in cash in a wheelbarrow, which is what the which is what the Saints player Super Bowl bonus would add up to be, um, and said, "Y'all want this? Win three bleeping games." I like it. <laughs> Good. Each winning player gets that much. That can't be the total bonus, can it? Maybe each player does each, each player, player get two hundred twenty thousand. Is, is that what it is? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, okay, wow. Grand it's the NFL. Right. Yeah, why not? They got the plenty of money. NFL, oh, they, I can't imagine they give that. Much. Actually, you know what? That's that's the money that they uh, that they found from the uh, Bounty Gate Greg Williams stuff eight years ago. And yeah. uh, hey, how about uh, got fired him today. coming in and how about him coming in and coaching well, and then they give the. the Got job to the other guy. So uh, Freddie Kitchens, wherever he is, Greg's got a screw loose, Pat. What's going on with our guy Chili? By the way, why did he, I, I tried to t- I texted him today and didn't get a response? He does he not want to coach in that league or is he landing back in the NFL? I'm disappointed though, Pat. I was looking oh. forward to to Chili being the head coach of that Atlanta team, and now I'm very disappointed. I was going to be there February 8th in Orlando to see him uh, open the season, and no sense of doing it now without the Chili Dog Man. Maybe Vince Mc, maybe Vince McMahon got to him. Maybe he's oh, jumping to the XFL. Be, Vince is Vince is starting his league now. Uh, seven of those eight teams are going in the markets that already have the NFL, and then St. Louis is getting the other one. That could that could be some really bad football by the time you get down to the quarterbacks that are playing in the XFL after they because the other leagues get their head start on them. No, but the, but the genius is Vince McMahon owns all of the teams, therefore he can set the games up however he wants to. Which oh, is yes, that's true. Bring back Tavares. Bring back Tavares. I got a hunch there's going to be a lot of thrillers, don't you? Very close ones. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm going to guess, yeah, like, the officials are going to make sure that those games stay it's closer be than like the first time. Roller derby. We're always going to go down to the last lap there, baby. <laughs> Nobody's ever won a roller derby in a route. Nobody's ever like <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Solid Nobody's point. Ever, Nobody's ever yeah. absolutely slaughtered the opposition in roller derby. We never had any successful uh, greatest show on turf type roller derby stars where they were just finesse and they avoided the scrums? No, they all ended up right at the end, and the red and the fiery redhead ended up elbowing some good-looking chick in the face, and uh, all hell would break loose. It was it was fantastic. <laughs> Mrs. Ricey made it, so uh, we're all uh, happy. Good. And it's, uh, I had to put up the side windows on the convertible today, but I hear it got a little chilly back. Oh home, yeah, so I'm, not, I'm not asking for sympathy. All right, that's fair. Well, we'll uh, right, we'll catch up all again right, tomorrow, see you, Pat. Pat. Okay. See you. Yeah, that's Roycey down in Florida. I love the running commentary. <laughs> Mrs. Roycey, man. And then the redhead always and wins I, at the end. And I put the windows. to the blonde gals. I had to put the side chicks. windows up on the convert, convertible, but I hear it's cold up there, so we'll see you later. Bye. I'd so, be curious to yeah. know why Chili did step away from that job, though. Well, the early speculation this afternoon or th- this morning in Cleveland was that Stefanski was going to get the Browns job, and he was going to actually go to Cleveland to help Stefanski, but clearly that's did not he, true. Did so. he quit the job before I hope Stefanski he's okay. got... Um, uh, um, or, uh, I hope Chili's okay. Do the Vikings need a spread game analyst to improve their offense? Did he not do a great job there? For he, lay, he actually legitimately helped lay groundwork for He was an analytical genius. Yeah. That was Chili's yeah. calling in life. I'll yep. see you guys later. All right. Mackie and Judd, we're back tomorrow. And uh, write that down coming up later in the week. On demand at 1500ESPN.com.